Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jerry Alcorda. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. All right. Well, stay standing with me real quick. Uh, We're going to pray. All right. Father, uh, we do. We honor you. Um, We honor the word that you've given and how you've chosen to reveal yourself to us, um, ultimately through your son, um, with reminders um, from a living book that comes alive and that is applicable for all stages, all things in life, um, your word. So uh, we just submit um, to you this morning and uh, just ask that you would speak to us. And, uh, And this is all in your son's precious name that we do all of this, Jesus. And as people said, amen. amen. All right, take your seats, please. Um, yeah, I don't know, did Sal mention, uh, Pastor Jim and Pam, they are on, they're on a way on their 35th anniversary? Yeah, so good, yeah. Good for them, you know, like nowadays you don't really see a lot of that, but um, just what a great picture, you know, and I love just um, the picture of marriage and how, God has given us marriage to represent his relationship with us through Jesus, because um, we are the bride of Christ. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I want to start this morning with a quote from a theologian, A.W. Tozer, and in The Knowledge of the Holy, he writes this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I want to say that again, and I want to let it sink in, all right? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if this is true, what are your thoughts about God? How do you see God? Take a second to think about that. Because I believe that that's true, and I believe that right thinking about God translates into right living for God. And here at CCC, our desire is that we would move beyond just knowing about something, knowing about God, to actually knowing God himself in a very powerful and a very personal way. You with me? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been around here for a little bit, so... You know, everybody knew who I was, or most of you guys know me by name, Jerry. And when we introduce ourselves, when we begin to know someone, that's typically how we start, right? By an introduction of, hi, my name is so-and-so, tell me your name. And today, we're going to talk about a very specific name of God. And throughout Scripture, we see different names for God. And each name that we see in Scripture for God is born out of a highly emotional very personal and powerful experience. And sometimes those names for God, they were ascribed to God by people, but sometimes God gave him, God gave his people those names himself, right? Let me give you a couple examples here. Jehovah Shammah, anybody know that one? The God who is there, or God who is present. Yahweh, what's that one? The great I am. Abba, Father, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. 
What about Jehovah Raha? Yeah. Today, I want us to look at Jehovah Nisi. Have you guys heard that one? The Lord is our banner. Right. And a banner, I looked it up in the dictionary, and it's, we pretty much know what banners are, right? We see them around town, around um, just life, TV, social media, the internet, everywhere. But the, dic- the dictionary defines a banner as this, a sign, a motto, slogan, flag, or I thought this one was really interesting, an idea or principle used to rally public opinion around is another definition for banner. They're all around us, right? And they all have meaning and they all mean something, right? And we, they're readily recognized, at least most of them are. Here's a, let's play a little game. Here are a couple banners. What's this one? (laughs) Right? Mickey D's. What else we got? Anyone? Okay. Good. All right. Taco Bell. My favorite, right? Okay, good. Android. All right, what about this one? Skype, cool. Yahoo. All right. Steelers. All right, we got one Steeler fan out there. All right, who else we got? Anyone? Cowboys, Broncos, Jeff, Costco, the Avs. All right, Canada. How about this one? France. Wow, good. And America, right? USA. Not bad. So we know our banners. We know some flags. And banners, right, um, we got some laughs, you know, maybe we got some kind of grumbling, like, oh, I'm not a super big fan of that particular brand, right? Um, but that's what banners are designed to do. They're designed to evoke some sort of emotional response from us. Some banners, well, all banners, they're designed to rally people around. You know, so which one do you rally around? Right, a sports team? a product, like we saw in the dictionary, right? Maybe an idea or a principle. So do you rally around a credit score, a financial standing, a relationship status? Banners mean something. And today we're gonna look at a battle in the Bible um, where a banner is really important. But before we look at this particular battle in Exodus 17, I wanna talk about another battle. See, because in battle, banners, flags are extremely important, right? In old battles, what we would see is we would see soldiers, a dedicated soldier carrying the flag of their cause, of their purpose, leading their troops, leading their soldiers alongside them into battle. And if that soldier were to die, were to fall in battle, the next soldier beside him would pick it up as a statement saying, our cause is not dead, Our cause has not been forgotten, so let's rally and let's get in the fight. In World War II, Lieutenant Colonel Johnson, just before the Battle of Iwo Jima, said this to his soldiers before they went to fight. 
He said, if you get it to the top, hold it up. He was talking about our banner and our flag and what it stands for. Right? We've seen this picture. We know this picture. It evokes an emotional response from us. And getting our flag to the top of that hill cost the life of 7,000 Marines and another 20,000 that were injured. It's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful picture. Powerful statement. And as powerful as this is, this isn't the battle that I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on a battle that the children of Israel were facing, that the children of Israel had to fight. And it's found in Exodus 17. So if you have your Bible, you can put your, open it up, put your finger in there. We're going to kind of be referencing a couple of spots there. Um, but before we get into it, I want us to bring, uh, to catch up a little bit. I want to get us up to speed and have a little background. And here it is. That God's people, the children of Israel, they had been enslaved for 400 years by the nation of Egypt. And God raises up this guy named Moses, and he tells him, hey, I want you to lead my people out of captivity, out of bondage, into freedom, into the promised land. And the way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to give you this staff, this rod, and it's going to carry my power. I'm going to represent my power. And I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And I think most of us, if you've been around church, you know, you went to Sunday school as a kid, or maybe you've seen the cartoon, um, Prince of Egypt, we know how the story goes, right? Moses goes to Pharaoh. Hey, God said, let his people go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses takes a staff, first sign, dips it, touches the river, turns all of the water in Egypt into blood. Right? Moses again goes to Pharaoh. Hey, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses again touches the water and there's a frog infestation. They had this conversation over and over again. And every time, Pharaoh says, no. Right? So Moses touches the dirt with the staff. There's a gnat infestation. He lifts his staff to the sky. There's thunder and lightning and hail. And finally, we see in that story that Moses says, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And then what happens? The Passover. Right? All of Egypt's firstborn children die. I think that finally breaks Moses, or Pharaoh for a little bit there because he says, okay, I'll let the children of Israel go. I'll let this nation, God's people go. There were two million of them in captivity. So we're not talking just a hundred, a couple hundred, a couple thousand. We're talking about a couple of million people in captivity that are finally released from 400 years of slavery. So Moses, I don't know how they do it, he gathers all the people and he starts to push out of Egypt. And on their way out, Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends his army out after him. He sends his army to go capture them, to return them to bondage, to return them to captivity. 
and Pharaoh's army catches up with the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And what happens next? What do we, what do we remember next? The seas part. Moses, with the very staff, the rod that had the power of God, he takes it, puts it in the water, and the seas part, and two million people cross over dry land to the other side with an army that's set to kill them and return them into slavery on their heels. They get over, and then what happens? Again, Moses puts his staff over the water, and the seas collapse, and Pharaoh's army is defeated. It's pretty cool. Pretty powerful, right? You know, but like so many people like us, we become forgetful. And we forget the things that God does for us. We forget the things that we've seen. And the children of Israel, you know, being del- seeing all the signs and wonders leading up to, their del- uh, up to their freedom, right? They see the seas part, but they start wandering through the desert, through the wilderness. They forget what God did for them, and they begin to complain, and they begin to grumble. Moses, I'm hungry. You brought us here to die. What does God do? manna from heaven. He feeds them. He gives them sustenance. Moses, I'm thirsty. We're dehydrated. There's nothing here. What does Moses do? Takes the rod, the staff that God had given him. He strikes a a rock and water begins to flow. And they're saved again. Time and time again. They see miracle after miracle after miracle as God led them defeating the army that was on their heels, their enemy. And now in Exodus 17, we see the Israelites facing a different enemy. And this time, they're actually going to have to fight. Because if you didn't realize, this is the first time that they're facing combat. They're They're facing a physical fight because for 400 years, they weren't fighting, right? They were slaves. They were in bondage. And it wasn't until they were freed from their bondage that their actual physical fight began. Doesn't that sound familiar with us, right? Before we're freed from our bondage, from our sin, we don't realize the fight that we're in. We don't realize the struggle that we're in. But God, like the children of Israel, he's called every single one of us to fight the battle, to fight the enemy, Satan. And here in Exodus 17, that's what God is doing. He's having them go to battle. He's having them take ground for their cause, for the cause that God had set before them. The promise of a land of freedom. You see, the moment that we begin to take ground for God, the moment that we begin to move forward in our faith is the moment that we begin to really feel those attacks. So who is attacking the Israelites here? Let's look at that. 17 verse 8 tells us that it was a group of people called the Amalekites. I think I said that right. Amalekites. Amalekites. 
It's a tongue twister. Um, but verse 8 says it was the Amalekites. And who were they? They were a descendant of Amalek. Who was Amalek? Right? This is like, what is it, numbers? You know, this person beget this person, who beget this person. And you're like, I have no idea who any of these people are. <laughs> right? But let me tell you, because this is kind of important, right? Um, Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Do you guys remember Esau? Jacob and Esau? Right? The Bible tells us that Esau had no real regard for God, that he was a man of the flesh, so much so that the guy gave his birthright up because he was hungry. Right? No self-control, no patience, no control over, him, over his will or his body. Bible also tells us that he drove his family crazy, his mom crazy, that he was super carnal, had many wives. Just a man of the flesh is how the Bible put it. This is who Esau was, and this is who his descendants, the Amalekites, were. They are a group of people of the flesh, carnal, had no fear of God, in fact, Psalm 83, verse 4 says, they wanted to destroy the nation of Israel. As uh, I was preparing for this and reading and just studying different commentaries, I just came across one, just quick side note here, that I thought was super interesting. Because um, they say that the Amal Amalekites kind of represent our own flesh. You know, and the battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites represent our own battle kind of between the spirit working in us and our flesh working against us, against the spirit, which I thought was interesting. You know, so I don't know about you, but attacks for us, you know, a lot of times we don't find ourselves in the middle of, you know, physical battles, but our battles come in the form of circumstances, relationships, health, you know, struggles with the flesh, with lust. And the goals of these attacks, Satan's goal, is the same goal that the Amicalites had for the children of Israel, is to put them back in bondage, is to put us back in to bondage. So for these, group, these guys, the Israelites and Amicalites, what were their tactics? Because this isn't the first time that they have been attacked and they've they were confronted by this group of people. What they would do is they would lie in wait, they would watch for weaknesses, and then they would exploit those weaknesses. And we, now we need to realize that that's what the enemy does, Right? He lies and waits, he watches, and then he exploits our weaknesses. He takes advantage of those areas that were weakened. And for the children of Israel, what they would do when they were confronted and how they traveled is they would gather their women, their children, the elderly, the sick, and they would put them towards the rear of their caravan, towards the rear of their group, in an effort to try to protect them. But like I said, 
a wise enemy waits, watches, studies, and attacks you in your weakest point. And that's what happened here. Is the Amicalites, they would flank, they would circle around and attack them and pick them off at their weakest point. And we have that same kind of enemy in Satan. Right? So for us, what are some of our weak points in our lives? Is it fear, anger, lust, pride, greed? Because I think in a way, God is giving us a message for us today. And it's be careful because we have a prowling enemy that's looking for the spiritually lame and the sick. So what do we do? Do we give up? Do we give in when we're attacked? No. Even, even when Jesus freed us from our sin, right? But I feel like so many times like we do give up, right? Nobody wants to give up, right? Giving up doesn't feel good. But so many times when we find ourselves in the situations, we, we kind of concede and we begin to negotiate. And in those negotiations is I think when we, when we do give up, we say, okay, I'm gonna make a truce with my sin. I'm gonna cut out some, I'll cut out this, but this one I'm gonna hang on to, right? And I think I'm gonna be okay because I cut out this. And this is kind of a little bigger or a little worse than this one. So God will, he'll honor that. We try to rationalize. But all we do is we fool ourselves, right? 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's pretty bad news, right? But... It doesn't stop there, which I love. You know, I think um, God, and just in life, right? In order to have good news, there has to be bad news. And I think that's what's happening here, is God is saying, hey, like, you gotta watch out. You gotta be careful. There's, this is really dangerous. But I want you to resist him, and I want you to stand firm in your faith. Yes. Right? I want you to stand firm in your faith. And that's what Moses decides to do in Exodus 17. After running, after being picked off, Moses looks at the situation and says, we're done. This is not who God has called us to be. So we're not going to be weak anymore. We're not gonna get picked off anymore. We're gonna stand and we're going to fight. Well, if you're going to stand and fight against sin and flesh, the Bible tells us to do what? To put on the full armor of God, right? We see that in Ephesians 6. And that's what kind of Moses is doing here, is they're going to stand, they're going to fight, but he's going to use something. He's going to use the staff, the rod, the very power of God that God gave him to lead the children of Israel. Yes. So he says to his people, I have this staff. It's God's very power. We're going to stand and we're going to be strong. 
And remember, these guys, the children of Israel, they weren't soldiers. They weren't fighters. Again, they had been slaves, right? And now they're facing an enemy who have been training their entire lives to be warriors, to defeat them, to put them back into slavery. So Moses gathers up you know, his main guys, his leaders, and he's telling them this plan. And if I'm then, I'm kind of thinking, man, you are crazy. Have you seen these guys? Have you seen how big they are? Right? They have armor. They got all these weapons. What do we have? Right? Moses, I'd like to say, steps forward and says, hey, we got this. And holds up that staff. This is God's power. This is how we're going to fight. This is how we're going to win. Because it's by God's power that the victory is ours. Amen. You know, but sometimes we look at our lives or maybe the sin or our circumstances and we feel trapped and powerless. I'm sure these guys, in a way, kind of looked at their circumstances and they felt trapped and they felt powerless. And it's because we don't understand necessarily the full power of God. But Moses had faith. Moses knew because Moses was hanging on to a promise, right? So he says, this is what's going to happen. You guys are going to go down there. You're going to fight. I'm going to come up here. I'm going to watch. And I'm going to hold God's power over us. I'm going to hold up this staff. And I'm going to cry out, God save us. Because the battle is ours. The victory has already been won. And that's what happened. Right? The battle starts. Moses is up at the top overlooking this battlefield, this battleground. His hands are up like this, crying out to God. And what happens? They start to win, right? You know, think about it. Moses, arms up, crying out. Jesus, or God, save me. Kind of reminds me of Peter, right? Stepping out of the boat by faith onto the water. Everything's great. Everything's fine. He's winning at life right there. He's walking on water, probably feeling pretty good. But then Peter, he looks around at the circumstances. He looks around at the waves. Starts fear and doubt. Starts sinking in setting in, and he begins to sink. And at that moment, he says, Jesus, save me, right? I don't think that in that moment when he says, Jesus, save me, it was, Jesus, save me, right? It was like, Jesus, save me, like, help me. His arms are up. He's reaching. And what does Jesus do? Jesus reaches for him, grabs him, says, hey, I got you. So as this battle with the children of Israel is happening, right? Everything is good. Moses is crying out, God save us, and God is saving them. But as the battle goes on, I don't know how long, but as it goes on, 
Moses begins to tire and his arms begin to come down and he tires. And as his arms begin to fall, the battle begins to turn and the children of Israel begin to lose. I want us to make two observations through this. And the first one is this, the importance of community. Okay? Because in that moment, as Moses is tiring and the tides of the battle are turning, Aaron and Hur, some of the guys that, are close, that were closest to Moses, they realize this and they come to his side. They bring up a rock or a boulder. They have Moses lean up against it and each one of them on either side grab Moses' arms and lift them up for him. They support his arms so that Moses can continue to cry out. So that Moses could continue to keep that banner high. To keep that rod, that staff high. And that church is, I believe, what God has called us to do for one another. We support each other. We lift each other's arms up so that none of us grows weary and tired of crying out to God. We rally, right? Because when Satan, when the enemy attacks one of us, he attacks all of us. Do you get that? When he attacks one, he attacks all. That's the second observation, is this, is we should never grow tired of crying out. Never grow tired of crying out. Amen. But that's hard, right? Life happens, circumstances happen. Things go sideways. None of us can be strong all the time. None of us. At some point, each one of us is going to show some kind of weakness and Satan, like we heard earlier, is waiting around wanting to exploit it and wanting to attack it. So as a body of believers, we are called to help one another, to hold each other's arms up, to cry out, God, you are my banner. And that's the picture that we see here in, this, in the middle of this battle in Exodus 17. The Israelites go on to win and defeat the Amicalites and secure their, their freedom. But at the end of this battle, we see in Exodus 17, 13, and 14, something that's kind of funny to me is, it says, the Lord says to Moses, write this down and make sure that Joshua hears it. Right, right after the battle, God tells Moses, hey, I want you to write this down so this guy who was just fighting in the battle hears it. And, I'm, and I was looking at that and I was like, just kind of funny because if I'm Joshua, I'd be like, bro, I don't need you to write it down. I was there, right? I was, I was in it. So, you know, but God in his foresight, 
He wants him to write it down because he, doesn't, he wants Joshua to remember it and to never forget this. Because if we fast forward 40 years from that battle, it's not Moses who led the people into the promised land. It was Joshua. And God knew Joshua would need these reminders of, and of these victories along the way. So God, could t- so God told him, be strong and courageous. And I want you to remember that forever. So Moses, to do this, what does he do? He builds an altar and puts his staff on it and calls it the name ascribed to God, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. The Hebrew word from which Nisi comes from is Nes, meaning banner, rod, or sign. So Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. He's my sign. He's my rod. The Israelites raised this banner, declaring, God, you are still on the throne. Your power and your presence have been with us, is with us, and goes before us. That's what they rallied around. God is our banner means when we wave that flag, when we wave that staff, we're stating, God, you are the one that's fighting for me. You are the one that's fighting with me. You are the one who's on the throne of my life. And maybe, maybe you're here and you're weak. You're feeling weak, you're feeling tired. Maybe you're here and you have some unconfessed sin. Or spiritually you feel like you're lagging behind. You're somewhere in the back. You're not stepping up to what God has called you to. And you feel the enemy circling, waiting to devour you. If that's you, tell someone. Get into community. Have those errands, those hers in your life that are there wanting, ready, willing to support you. If someone tells you, come around them, support them. Be strong for them. Because like we heard earlier, no one is strong all the time. We all have our moments of weakness. I don't know, maybe you're here and You need to cry out, the Lord is my banner for the very first time. You need to cry out, God save me for the very first time. You need to lift your hands and say, God rescue me for the very first time. Jesus came not for the healthy or the strong, but for the sick, the lame, and the weak and sinner. And that was all of us. 
But that's not where our story ends, right? We're not just sinners. We were sinners saved by grace that live free now, out of bondage in freedom. Because we have fought the battle and God, through Christ, won it for us. Romans 8, 31 and 32 say, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He's given us hope. He's given us freedom. So today, what does this mean for us, right? How can God be our banner? How can he fight for us today? Let's go and stand. What are the circumstances in your life that you need God to fight for right now? What areas do you need him to show up in? Where are you weak or you feel you're lagging? out to God and like I said maybe you need to raise your hands and cry out for the first time today do it because in Jehovah Nisi there's a promise of infinite resources God's power that is capable of for every occasion and every emergency because he goes before us and he fights for us. Second Samuel says this, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him I will trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation my high tower and my refuge, my savior. You, God, save me from evil. I will call on the Lord who is most worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Amen. Amen. Um, As we close, we're going to have some of our prayer team, um, some of our elders, here at the front. And if there is something in your life that you feel like, man, I'm in the middle of this fight, I'm in the middle of this battle, and I'm kind of sucking wind right now, and I need help. I need somebody to kind of help get my arms up because they're pretty tired right now. Please come up and have them pray for you. If you're here and you've never cried out to God, you've never said, God, I need you to save me, I didn't realize I was in this fight, and man, I'm feeling it now. And for the first time, I need to cry out, and I realize I'm in need of a Savior. And that's only you through your son, Jesus. If that's you, I want you to come forward and have one of these guys pray for you too. Okay. So, Father, we thank you. 
we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you love us so much not to allow us to just go through life kind of struggling alone, fighting alone, God, but you fight for us. You go before us. You're around us. You're beside us. We thank you that your word in scripture, you tell us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. The same power that you put in the staff that Moses took with him into battle that performed all those signs and wonders. It didn't stay in that staff. It didn't stay on the cross, God, but you put that now in us. So we thank you that we carry that. We thank you that you put that in us. And we celebrate that. So we say we love you. And all this is for you. Thank you for your son. And as people said, amen. You know, it's so easy. Uh, just before I let you guys go, it's so easy to kind of like get stuck in these like, oh, I'm in the middle of this battle, you know, or um, these are the things that I'm struggling. Brother, would you pray for me? Sister, would you pray for me? It's so easy to kind of live in kind of like just the junk a little bit, you know. But I also want us to realize and to know that God calls us to live in victory and in celebration. And we, the reason that we have these battles in the positive is that we come out seeing God's goodness and seeing his deliverance, how he saved us, how he fought for us, and how we are now better, stronger because of it. So use these as an opportunity to celebrate too, to say, God, thank you, right? Thank you. It was hard. It is hard, whatever it is. But God, man, I celebrate because I know I am not alone and I know you're with me. And you're with me through the people next to me too. Amen? All right. Well, church, thanks for being here. Thanks for being with me. Um, hope you guys have a great Sunday afternoon and rest of your, uh, rest of your week. God bless. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.